When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Illustrious guest, Matt. What, what a way better to way? Things off, right? Right. Shanji Hibero, legend of the sport, of in all here. People. You guys haven't seen that. We spent an hour with a, a true legend, and he went through his whole career, where he's doing right now. Man, it was it was super cool, and more to come as well. Man, like that that term gets thrown around a lot in jujitsu, right? Legends. But I mean, for me, like that's one guy the label absolutely applies. Like, there's one person in the sport, you know, you can say, man, he's been there he's done it all he literally is he's a real legend right oh 100 percent like like you were saying earlier there's definitely like two three guys who i think have a claim to that greatest of all time and, and shanji i think can definitely he's right there in that yeah, conversation yeah make, sure. make a claim for one of the only guys to to beat roger gracie beat him in the absolute division at worlds a couple times um so the the run that shanji hibero has had is uh, yeah it's unparalleled can we just talk about how chilly is though <laughs> like i mean he, he's a super intimidating guy on paper but he's so friendly uh, He's one of the coolest guys in jiu-jitsu. Was happy right? to just talk shit about jiu-jitsu for a while, <laughs> read, read shots and video with him doing techniques, and uh, just talked a little bit about, about how to play the game. And, yeah, he's a really down-to-earth, fun guy to be around. So. Yeah, he loves talking about jiu-jitsu, right? And definitely, really especially um, the, the techniques afterwards. That was just, like, such an uh, awesome experience, just being able to feel a guy like Shanji Hibero, you know? He's like, well, just do this. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, if you guys haven't had a chance, go back and check it out because we have the full hour-long interview. It's up on our YouTube. It's up on our Facebook. It's up on the site. And really, man, Shanji, he doesn't pull any punches as well, right? He's He's got some strong opinions, and uh, he's... He's got no problem in sharing those Did as well. Did anything surprise you? Anything jump out at you from that talk? One or two things. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the big one for me was that he straight up agreed that there is actually uh, a Brazilian bias in the sport. Now, this is something that some people, <laughs> let's say, some people, notably Keenan Cornelius, you know, he recently complained about saying that there's an anti-American. No, Shanji didn't go so far as to say there's an anti-American bias, but he did agree that there is a Brazilian bias. And I thought that was pretty honest statement to make considering that he himself is Brazilian. He has dual citizenship, but still, you know. And I, to I, clarify, I think he, he, it was maybe an implied bias. You know, he said judges were getting worn down and tired over multiple days, and when you're just exhausted, what are you going to do? You're going to go for what you know, what, what you love, and, you know, maybe you accidentally have, like, a, a semi-bias going on. But he yeah. made a good point for me as well that he said, but at the same time, where are the other nationalities coming in and working their way up through the kind of the refereeing and the, the judging courses and getting to that point where they're able to sit as a referee or as a judge for a world championship final. I don't really see anybody doing it, do you? Uh, I know Raul Jimenez there was a, was a, um, a road uh, coach, I mean a uh, 
ref for a little bit, and Ali Geddes there is, Geddes, is, yeah. is a non-Brazilian um, ref. Who gets probably the most shit out of any ref I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Ollie, man. He's Poor always Ollie, getting yeah. it in the ear. He, he does. I but mean, there's like, not too many, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and Ollie, I think, actually, he's operated at quite a high level. You know, he was like a head ref for one of the Grand Slams in London and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with something like that. Mm. But, yeah, uh, a thankless job. So no wonder that there's, like, there aren't dozens of people waiting to sign up for that, I guess. Huh? I liked that he, uh, that he pointed out uh, Mikey Musumeshi and, uh, and Jamil Hill. Oh, as, as new athletes he likes. As two, yeah. two of his favorite guys that, that he likes watching, the new, newer guys. That was super cool, actually. It's nice to see that Shanji, somebody who's been around so long, is still keeping a close eye on the guys who are coming through it, too, right? Mm-hmm. And they have very different games than Shanji, right? I mean, a lot of times, maybe with the guys that, that I like or the guys that you like are, are similar to your game, right? And those guys couldn't be more different than, than Shanji's game. So cool that he's you know keeping his options open. Yeah. I, I got to say, it was a lot of fun, like I say, getting Shanji in here. It's uh, it's not every day you get an opportunity like that to get somebody like, like Shanji in the studio. And uh, Definitely. Like we said, pound for pound, I mean, he ranks up there for me, like top five greatest of all time. Easy. And, uh, okay, I'm going to put you guys on the spot real quick right oh <laughs> do it now, put me on the spot how rankings are always a uh, a tricky one to do right okay but if you just wanted to list like say your top five pound for pound all time who would it be i mean who's on that list who who, who shares that position along with shanji gotta be roger buchecha yeah or dueling for one and two i think you gotta put like roger buchecha shanji andre galvao um, those, those are the four that, that, that really jump out at, at, at me at the moment. You know, I think you could possibly put, put one of Cobrinha the Mendes. Cobrinha maybe up there, Mendes Brothers. Mendes Brothers, Cobrinha. Marcelo Garcia. Marcelo Garcia. Marcelo. I yeah, mean, yeah. that fifth spot is tightly contested by a ton of guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. Lucas Lepri, I think, deserves to be in that conversation. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's just yeah. this, it, that pound-for-pound greatest thing. It's, it's, it's so difficult to quantify because there are some guys who only competed in their weight, some guys who did absolute as well. So, you know, the, it, it, it's such a difficult thing. But, yeah, you know, whatever happens. But, but, Mancini, but, I think, has a claim right? to That's true, five. yeah. yeah. And, and, and now, especially at this moment, right, those are the guys I think we're, we're all in agreement right now. But you look at um, Mikey Musmeshi, we're talking about Mikey Musmeshi already now. He is the most decorated American jiu-jitsu um, competitor of all time. I mean, yeah. I know some other guys have more medals, but nobody has two gold medals. Nope. So he has a legitimate claim to the most decorated American competitor of all time, and he's only, what? Um, 22 or yeah, something? 20, 22 yeah, 22 years old. <laughs> you know, so in four or five years, Mikey Musumeshi could be, uh, could be right in there, too. Well, we'll see. speaking of the young guys, you know, uh, Mikey, you know, he was a guy who competed from the juvenile divisions right through to the, the, the top, top, uh, you know, the echelon, the upper echelons of the sport, Black Belt World Championship. And um, we're starting to see that, aren't we? We're st- I mean, like a lot of these guys that we just mentioned there, they, they were competing since they were kids and stuff. But a lot of the, um, a lot of the Black Belts currently making big waves and a, a lot of the uh, up-and-comers, these guys are like 20 years of age. That's incredible, right? And we saw a bunch of new promotions come through in the, you know, just after Worlds, like always, a bunch of guys get promoted on the podium. So, um New promotions. Like, uh, who's standing out for you guys? Who are you excited to see? Man, if you're not excited about Mauricio Olivier, then you're not paying attention. The guy's won blue belt, purple belt, brown belt world titles in three years in a row. Now just got his black belt. Um, Talk about young 20-year-old guys who are going to definitely make an impact next year or this year at the black belt just level. Just a terrifying athlete from Geo Team. Transits Gutenberg out there in Ohio, um, I think, most of the year. So he's definitely my top prospect that I'm watching. How about you, Reed? Top prospect. I mean, I feel like it's got to be Kynan. Kynan. It's got to be Kynan Duarte yeah. from from uh, 
from Atos. You know, I, I was out there in, in South Korea when he was doing Spider, and that, that were, to me, I, I've always, I think we've all been big fans of Kynan, but seeing Kynan there on the Spider stage um, and beating, beating black belts, beating a lot of big names in that tournament, uh, that was really his coming out party for me, where I, was, I really became a believer. Obviously, he, he's a um, double gold at, at, at brown belt this, this year, so another young young guy, has a great mentor like Andre Galvao to, to kind of um, steer him in the right direction. I think he's definitely going to be a, one of those guys who's going to be a black belt world champion, if not next year, the, the, the year after. Two great names. I'm going to throw my name in the uh, in the hat there as well. I'm really excited to see Kennedy Maciel. Right? Mm, there you go. Corbrina Jr. got his black belt on the podium after winning Worlds there, light featherweight. And, uh, I mean, wow, sky's the limit for somebody like that. You know, you want to talk about having one of the, the greatest figures in the sport, one of the greatest competitors of the last 10 years, right there as your mentor, as your coach, on the side-by-side of the mat every day. And, um, you know, Kennedy is actually, he, he hasn't had the easiest route to the black belt either, right? Because we followed his career really closely over the last two and a half, three years. And there have been occasions when he's lost first round in, in like, say, European championships. Or, you know, he, like, you know, stuttered and didn't quite get to the brown belt podium like the, the year before. I think it was Pan, Pan's, his first year, uh, brown belt, Pan's, same, so, you same know, thing. Bronze his first year, you know? I think, at, at, at Worlds as well. Which yeah. is, you know, for someone like him, not a the great result. The expectations are right. super high, right? But I like the fact that he got that out of the way with, made those mistakes, had that kind of experience of, right, it take, you know, I know what it, it takes now to go back into the gym, to work on my mistakes, to come back stronger and better. And, you know, a guy like that should be making the mistakes as early as possible in his career so that he's well prepared going into the black belt, right? And yeah. I think I, that's going to help. I remember talking to, to Dante Leon there one time when I, when I was doing a little video with him um, at Europeans, and he ended up uh, um, losing f- first round at Europeans as well, and but Dante, of course, is one of our favorites to watch. He's he's always submitting people, but and I was talking to him a little bit afterwards. Yeah, and he was saying you know, that you know, no matter what, all this is just um, is just practice for black belt. No matter what happens at brown belt, no matter what happens at, at purple belt, you know, like it's all just experience for when I get to my black belt. That's when when it really starts. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because people say that even in the gym, right? That that. A lot of black belts, and people used to say this to me when I was a color belt, they're like, man, black belt is like being a white belt all over again. Mm. Like, you suddenly, you're back to square one. (laughs) And I used to think, and this is, you know, after years of putting in time on the mat, I was like, man, really? That sounds sounds terrible. (laughs) Because, like, it's been a pretty tough road to get there, and you're saying it all starts again. And it it really did kind of feel like that. I remember when I got my black belt, I was like, man, now I kind of really know how deep the rabbit hole goes. And, you know, there's a lot more to jujitsu. I almost felt like I could really now, I was in a position to really learn about jujitsu, like not just collect techniques and work on my game. And I kind of feel that it's, it's a similar thing for a lot of competitors that, like you say, this is all practice. And for a lot of these guys, they place a lot of value on blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, world medals, right? You know, those medals are just as hotly contested, just those matches are just as tough. We see as much passion going into those finals as we do as a black belts, right? Everything matters at that moment. But when the guy gets the black belt, what he conquered, what he managed to do at color belt, kind of becomes like regardless, right? Of course, if you, if you win, those are obviously great things to learn on your way to black belt. Winning brown belt worlds, that's a great experience to take into, into the black belt. But yeah, of course, if you don't win, it doesn't mean you can't win uh, black belt. You know, like you said, it, things, things kind of start... 
all over for, for people. Um, and I think there's a little bit of ego involved in the, in the colored belts, right? For, for everybody, it seems like that, that there, you, you, you feel like you've got to prove something or you feel like you've got to prove that you're good enough to be the next belt. Or, or there's, there's a little bit more ego involved in, in the, the lower belts, I feel like. And then once, once you become a black belt, I feel like some of that ego kind of really dissipates because it's, it's not important anymore. Well, it's, it's also such a big jump as well, right? Because you've got guys who are, let's see, 18, 19, 20 years of age, get in their black belts, you know, as they, as they, as they hit that sort of the, the, the short color belt career of what can be sometimes only about four years long. And then they yeah. get to the black belt and all of a sudden they're a brand new black belt, 20, 21 years old, and they're going to go up against, let's say, potentially, somebody like Shanji Hibero, who's been a black belt for 17 years. Yeah, yeah. A ton of experience, guy's been around, you know, and I'm not saying that it's, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be automatically difficult because some of these guys are super talented. We've seen guys like uh, Gustavo Batista, right? Braguinha, who is also an Atos guy, come in as a first year and make it to the final yeah, of the black belt. That's, that's incredible. True. But there are other guys who are going to go there, feel what it's like in that black belt division for the first time, and it, and it could be a huge shock, right? Well, that's what I'm so excited about. The, this. That's why I was so excited about this year's world championships because, like, I didn't know it was, if it was possible, really, you know, like, if it was possible for somebody to get their black belt and, and make it to the finals or, or get their black belt and beat, beat the legends who, who have been doing this for 15 years, who have the experience and everything like that, you don't really know if, that, if it was possible. But this World Championships, I felt like it really overwhelmingly proved that, that these young guys are, are good. Yeah, they are. They're <laughs> seriously good. And, you know, it's, uh, for me, it's super exciting as well because... Um, we saw it at Worlds, and I don't want to keep going back over this because there's so much to talk about. But, yeah, yeah. you know, the most recent World Championships, there were a lot of first year, actually not just at Worlds, but in other tournaments this year, a lot of first-year black belts who really impressed me. And we've mentioned the whole changing of the guard and about how jiu-jitsu keeps, keeps kind of evolving, right? It's like, uh, you know, some people complain about, oh, it's getting stale, it's getting, you know, whatever. And, you know, they're going to complain that some of their favorites from the last few years are starting to retire because that's natural. People's careers are only so long. But how can you not be excited about these guys coming through? Like, and the things that they're doing as well. I mean, you look at the guys of yesteryear, and let's say um, you look at Shanji and Galvao and all those guys from, say, 10 years ago, and you think, man, that was amazing. And then you see these new the new generation of professional athletes with just like encyclopedias of technique, like amazingly physically conditioned, going in there and just doing things like 10, 15 years ago, they wouldn't have even been possible, right? I mean, like look at some of the tricks that, let's use Keenan as an example. That kind of that shit didn't exist until a couple of years ago. That's, that's why I get so excited about it. I love watching Jamil. You want to talk about creativity. Um, I feel like he's just so, I want to use the word articulate in his movements. He, he, he's creates positions on the fly and it just comes out on top. He's so good at wrapping the lapel around just anyone's limbs, any free space. and just I, I feel like he throws his opponents way out of their comfort zone immediately. And it's not just like trying to go under and barambolo. He's, he's doing new things in almost all of his matches. It's, yeah. it's something that's really fun to watch. I feel like he looks so confident at Worlds, mm. too. You know, he just like... Maybe the last year he was... Matches were really close, a little closer and things like that. But I feel like he just really came out of his shell at Worlds and, and impressed. He did. And, you know, when it comes to those mistakes we were just talking about, that, that year before, 2017, was, uh, it was Jamil's first year as a black belt at the World Championships. And he, he lost the match to Cabrinha. And, you know, there was that moment, the really contentious, you know, did he score the points, did he not? Man, it's, it's a match that 
comes up in conversation all, all the, the time. time. Every yeah. single time, I feel like we were, we're talking about jujitsu with a couple people. I feel like, or in Worlds last year comes up, that meal, Jamil versus Cabrinha comes up. It's a, it's a polarizing match. It really is. I mean, still, people will, you know, argue whether or not it was points or not. And that, that particular situation, though, it kind of, it goes back to what I was saying about making those mistakes. It's like, if you've got to be so uh, self-aware of not just your, yourself and your, and your techniques, but you've got to look at it really from the outside and kind of look at it. What did I do there in that position? Like, was I responsible for letting that slip through my fingers, you know? And I'm not saying that, you know, Shane was to blame particularly in that position or not, but there, there comes a point when you have to say, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm not even going to let myself get to that position. And that's the one thing that we saw from him this year, right? You know, the, the world championships, the guy went out there and it was, there was no like, you know, oh, maybe he won, maybe he didn't. Kind of, it was just, no, bang, bang, bang. I got to get those points on the board. I got to submit the guys. That's how, you, that's how winning is done, right? And yeah, not to continue to beat this to death, but I, I yeah, totally agree in that. Um, I feel like he, he lost in the finals at, at Pans as well, right? He made to the finals all the way uh, to Pans and, and lost to, to Johnny Grippo in a very close match. So that, the Cabrinha loss and the Johnny Grippo loss, I think were, were two of the best things that could have happened for him going into Worlds. Fair point. Well, he certainly uh, corrected whatever mistakes were, were haunting him because he came home with a gold medal. And you can only wonder how many years he's got left at the top of his game. He's a young kid, 22, 23 as well, right? Maybe another so, 10 years. Another 10 years. <laughs> Easily. And this is something that we're talking about very specifically to the, um, to the kind of the, the competition arena. You know, it's like it's very much about like these guys make a mistake in matches and fixing it and coming back with, you know, a lot on the line. But ultimately, these principles, these same principles, we can even apply them to our own jujitsu, whether you're a competitor or not as well, I feel. Right. Because, you know, you know, we train with guys sometimes in the gym, they just do the same thing over and over. And you kind of think to yourself, man, it's like, you've been around a long time now. Why are you still doing that shit when you know that it's not working, you know? Mm. They still insist on trying, like it's gonna suddenly magically work for them one day. And I kind of feel that that mentality that we were talking about, the competitors, that a lot of just day-to-day practitioners could also apply in their own training by taking a step back, thinking about, well, I do this, 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 he does that, 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 and this same thing is happening to all these people. Maybe the problem's what I'm doing, you know? It's, it's a mentality that I feel that we can learn a lot from them as practitioners as well. Do you agree? Absolutely. You know, I, I find myself definitely getting into the same battles with the same people over and over again, but I have a hard time making minor adjustments like, oh, instead of passing to the left, let's go to the right. I'll do a whole new thing. Well, I'm going to play guard. Or I'm going to play spider guard. I never play spider guard. And just really go way in left field to, to open up new possibilities because if I just try and adjust my, my current approach, I just find myself in the moment going back to what I always do. So why not just, you know, really change things up? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I would agree for sure. I've, I've never understood the, uh, the jiu-jitsu plateau or anything like that. I feel like people talk about that sometimes, and I've never really understood that because there is just, it's just limitless. It's just limitless. If you're, if you're trying one thing and it's not working, there's 10 mm. billion other things to try, you know? So... Um, I love experimenting, and, and I feel like sometimes it, it'll, it'll never work, never work, never work, and then sometimes I'll be like, oh, I need to move my knee slightly this way. A very simple thing that'll, that'll unlock a position for me or, or, or unlock some, some sequences or something like that. And, and how, do you guys, how do you guys solve those problems? Like, do you 
go to somebody for advice? Do you go to your coach? Is it self-led? Do you look it up online and kind of see what other people are doing it, and everything, figure it out? Man. You know, I definitely talk to, talk to the guys in the gym, talk to my coaches, watch flow grappling. You know, all, all the stuff we have access to on here is, is a great way to sort of improvise. Um, I think competing, though, is the ultimate yeah. kind of measure because uh, that, for me at least, frees me up in the gym to try weird stuff. If I'm like, okay, you know, I, I want to win in competition. I don't want to win the gym. I don't have a gym nemesis. And so I, I feel like that brings less ego and more of a willingness to get tapped or to get past um, to work on my weaknesses because I know that's going to help for competition. But maybe if you're a guy who never, ever wants to compete, doesn't have the opportunity to, you start counting those gym wins. And then you don't want to take chances. And then suddenly you have, like, a very narrow game, maybe. Mm -hmm. That's a great great point. Yeah. You know, actually, like, my perspective, the last time I competed, I was still a brown belt. And um, I didn't compete at all at purple because of injuries and stuff. But uh, what was interesting was that even though I didn't compete that much, I felt like I still got a lot of that experience. Because in our gym, when I was based in, in Rio, we would receive so many guys, so many visitors. Like every single day, there would be somebody you didn't know on the mat. And it was, I was never stuck just training with the same group of guys. You know, maybe somebody would drop off, somebody else would come in. No, it was like you walk into the mat sometimes and there would be like six guys from France or there'd be like three guys from Japan or there would be like eight guys on the mat, but two of them were from this place in Brazil, two of them were from here, and two of them from... And sometimes you just like, man, there are so many guys mm. because it was such a hub for international visitors. And um, when it, you train with guys that you don't know, sometimes it can throw you off a little bit, right? Because oh, yeah. you, you're so used to each other in the gym, you kind of know what to expect. This was almost like a competition, and especially because when you train with somebody for the first time you don't know, he's going to give anything up. Well, you're right? going to go you're going to go to your go-to game. Mm -hmm. Like when the first time you roll with somebody new, you know, new gym or whatever, and somebody new coming in, you're going to go to your go-to game. You know, whatever it is, you you pull, sweep and what you know, whatever the knee, knee, knee slice yeah. pass or whatever, you know? So like that's like that's what it's fun rolling with new new people cuz like you do try to see if if what you're your kind of go-to is and works. Also as well, having people come into your house, there's a lot of pressure as well. It's like, <laughs> man, I don't fucking care who this guy <laughs> is. I got you know, the honor of the gym to defend and stuff. So it was super competitive. I mean, man, we see that all the time. We travel to places uh -huh. for events and we drop in and I feel like sometimes you guys out there forget that we're not the black belt athletes. <laughs> that we're just the media that covers them. And so they, they nice. want to <laughs> test the flow grappling guys out. They're like, let's see, these yeah. guys are legit. So I feel like oh, I've been no. throwing bring the it, beat bring grinder. it, bring it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But it's, um, it's fun traveling and seeing different approaches and going to, um, to meet those guys head on and meet the challenges. Yeah, because the other guys, too, they'll bring their A game, too. So oh, you're yeah. like, oh, man, that guy was really good at deep half, and he chewed me up with it. You know, mm -hmm. so, like, clearly... I need to I need to roll with some more people who are good deep half because man that guy just messed me up with it. Yeah, exposes a huge hole in your game. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I like training with different people all the time. Uh, as much as I think it's important to have your kind of your regular training partners, because uh, then the guys that you build a relationship with and you know that okay, this guy it's uh, we have that understanding of how hard we're going to go today, and you can go as hard as you want, but some days you know you both know okay we're going to work technique instead. Or it might be a guy that you. It's the drilling partner that mm. you know you can always rely on to work with you after class for the extra moves or whatever it might be. It's good to have those regular training partners, right? We've but been at the same time, I mean, know. we've been all over the place, but what do you think um, the best training is? Like, what, what was the place that really blew your mind or opened Oof. you up to a new way of thinking about getting better at jiu-jitsu? Um, 
I have a lot of ideas, especially after these Road to Worlds tours where these guys are in their prime camp doing their A game for the world. Because everybody does something a little different, right? right? Everybody right, does yeah. something slightly different. You know, most, most of the jiu-jitsu classes, like, we've all seen most of them, but everybody does something slightly different. Some of them have, have a hard warm-up mm. right in the beginning. You know, some of them just, just drill or, or some of them... Uh, and they all have very similar levels of success in, like, competitions. So there's no obvious one that's better than another, right? Atos, there's, you know, 25 black belts on the mats. And at Lucas Leopard Gym, there's two, three. <laughs> two or three black belts on the mats, you know? So... For me, yeah. I, I really like, um, and I haven't even been there, but it was a concept that I, I heard about from your tour, and maybe even BJJ Hacks back in the day, is uh, Cicero Costa letting guys drill what they want in, in the A-team. And um, I feel like part of what you were talking about earlier, trying out new ideas, ex- going and exploring jiu-jitsu, sometimes it's not the scissor sweep from, from close guard. You know, a lot of times you're trying new weird things, and you don't always get the opportunity to, to drill them in class. You have to go extra because we're working with a curriculum presented by the coach. And I would love sometimes just to, to try Tommy's key master to guard and spend 30 minutes ripping that out in class. And uh, I know some of the high-level gyms, especially Cicero Costa, they let their guys do that. It's okay. You got 45 minutes of drilling, but drill whatever you want. Yeah. And I think that's a really cool idea. I can see why a lot of places don't do that, though, because... Um We've seen those memes, actually, haven't we? Of like the when the jujitsu coach lets the guys choose their own warm up, and there's just a bunch of guys like messing <laughs> around. It's almost the same thing. It's like, okay, you guys drill what you want. You know that two guys are going to be in one corner, like repping out like crazy reps. Two guys are going to be over there talking about Fortnite or something. And then, you know, so. Yeah. Well, I feel like whenever whenever people say that to me, when people are like, drill whatever you want, I'm just like. Uh, I don't know what to I, drill. What's, <laughs> what's jiu-jitsu? Uh, <laughs> why can't I think of a single jiu-jitsu move suddenly? Yeah, no, I, feel, I feel the same way, but uh, I usually have to come in the class with an idea. I have to, I have to be watching yeah, something yeah. an hour early and say, I want to try that. Otherwise, I get that same mode where I deer in the headlights like, I guess I'll do a Toriando pass. Like, I, don't, I don't know what's going on here. But. You know what I used to do was I, I never really watched instructionals, and I still don't, to be honest, yeah, because I... I'm not that kind of learner, I guess. You know, I, I, I just sit there and I'll, I'll watch like a couple of techniques and I'll immediately forget them. Like mm. I need to kind of not only see it, I also need to feel it, you know. But uh, what I used to do though, and this is kind of weird because it's not like uh, just a tactile learner, but, you know, obviously visual as well, was I would see like one thing in a match. I'd see like one thing and I'd just be like, oh, mm. okay, immediately go to the gym try it and people will be like wow what's that i'd be like i don't know i saw it i'm figuring it out and <laughs> yeah, i would just yeah. like use it i just constantly try to and then fine-tune it and then like problem solve and i learned so much jujitsu that way and and grappling techniques and it man it's kind of weird though isn't it sometimes that one thing just jumps out at you i don't know strange so you're, you're a perfect class because classes i feel like in, in brazil are definitely run a little differently than uh here in america they are um I would say that in general, my experience is that classes are a little more um, loose in Brazil. You know, that the training is, uh, is certainly not as um, disciplined, which is kind of weird because it's not what you would expect, right? Being all the traditional and stuff. And that's not the case for all gyms. You know, you'll go to somewhere like Gracie Baja and it's very regimented. They all do exactly the same warm up. Everybody does the same techniques. There's a set curriculum. Um, I remember Gracie Umay is, is very you know, regimented. Everybody does the technique and they all do it and stuff. But um, a lot of other gyms, you know, like people will be walking in like just for the rolling. They completely skip the warm-ups and mm. stuff. And, you know, like at our gym, man, I, I would get weird looks because I would be like 
drilling the technique of the day, like drilling <laughs> it. And some some other guys, they'd be like, they kind of do it, do it once, and then they'd be like, <laughs> I got it. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and the training partner would be like, Can I do it? And they're like, I'm good. <laughs> I, got, oh, I got what I needed here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just roll, just roll, just roll. And so it, it differs a lot. But for me, um, my tra- my perfect training session would look like this. I think that uh, I'm not a fan of those crazy warm ups where you're doing like shitloads of like jumping jacks mm. and press ups and stuff. I, I think it's counterproductive. You know, I, I see an element of physical conditioning and the necessity of that. But at the same time, I don't think the jujitsu class is the time that you should be doing that. You know, if you're going to do it, then you should be really sort of doing it yourself you should taking your own responsibility and doing that because you get a lot of conditioning on the mat sports specific um i think that the perfect class begins with mobility and whether that's the kind of up and down the mat doing like the animal crawls and animal walks rolls tumbling whatever but for me one of the most important things is you get your hands on another body as soon as possible because the time that I'm spent going up and down the mat shrimping the time that I'm doing this doing that like sometimes we'll stop Everybody sits down, you go through the whole technique or one, two, three techniques. I'm cold mm, again. Yeah. And then by the time I get my hands on somebody to roll, it's 40 minutes later. Now my back's cold. I'm no longer as loose as I was. I'm expected to roll to the death, you know? So for me, what I really like is kind of just like a mobility, get the heart rate going, lots of movement, whether it's uh, yoga style movements, whether it's animal movements, whether it's tumbling, that kind of thing. Then going into partner drills. And various levels of resistance, whether it is no resistance, whether it's using just something as a grappling dummy, whether it's progressive resistance drills of things like guard passing, things like sweeps. You know, an amazing drill uh, I used to do. Um, I got this from a good friend of mine called Dennis Ash, who's a black belt that I trained with. He was a um, one of the first gringos that I met training in Brazil, and he was actually sometimes would teach at like Gordo's school, and that's a big thing for a gringo to do, right? And uh, he had these like chain drills where one guy would just start off in guard, sweep the guy, get on top, pass, go to mount. The guy would just then reverse him. And then that guy would do the same thing again. Mm -hmm. And you just go back and forth, back and forth. You do that for a five-minute round. I guarantee by the end, you're both sweating. And it's good because you're not doing it as a fight. You get in the jiu-jitsu movements, you're drilling them in, and at the same time, you're actually ready then when it comes to rolling, like my grips are good, my hips are open. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for me, that's kind of like my ideal training. And then when it comes to the rolling, I mean, I'm like Leandro Lowe's kind of thing about how some days he was like, well, today we're going to do eight, six-minute rounds. This day we're going to do six, ten-minute rounds. So it kind of varies the intensity on how many and how long the rounds are. So that's my short answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that's, that's good, good class right there. I, I, I like I do like a, a hard warm up. I, I hear what you're saying about maybe it's not the, the time and place for Get it. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I like I like a hard warm up. I like to to be dripping sweat beforehand. You know, you're saying you get cold. It's 100 degrees in Texas, so you I don't, don't, you don't have yeah. that problem here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, I li- I do like a hard warm up. Um, I, I think that that always gets me in the, in the mode to train, you know, that always like, like focuses my mind when I get a hard warm up and I'm dripping sweat and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. Like, let's, let's train. Cause I, <clears throat> and then I like, I like to roll. I mean, obviously we all like to, to roll. I, that, that's my favorite part of the class. Is, Everybody's is, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I like to, I like to leave as much time for, for rolling as possible, but I will say, you know what I, I really, really like in, in the road to world stuff that we, that we've been doing is um, 
I forget what they call it, right? Where everybody kind of circles up. First to score. First to score, yeah, yeah. So we saw them, they, them do it in Ireland at Dare's mm-hmm. school, saw them do it at Team Lloyd Irvin, and we've seen them do it at, uh, at Atos beforehand as well, where everybody just circles up, you know, and the, 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 the instructor kind of just randomly calls two, two guys, similar, oh, similar belt okay. level, similar experience or whatever, you know, and, and has everybody um, circled up. Everybody's pounding the mat or clapping or whatever, you know, and then those two guys jump in the middle, and, and then whoever scores a takedown or a sweep or a guard pass first, wins it always gets the gym so hyped it does, and it, right. it, it, it good team building also good for intensity you know yeah. it mimics, all the eyes on yeah you. yeah it mimics that competition experience for for people who don't compete a lot um and yeah yeah certainly it raises the stakes so you, you know you get that adrenaline you feel the adrenaline and everything like that i, I do like that uh, that was fun to watch yeah yeah sure. that's always a lot of fun i like it i i, I really have i've been to a few gyms where people do that and it's uh it is it's just fun as well right and i think sometimes jujitsu can be very serious especially if you're you know focused on kind of competition and that's mm. the goal all the time you've got to remember to have fun right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah huge element how about you my ideal class would probably start with a uh, a dance-off like mario hayes <laughs> 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 um, that's where i excel that's where my jiu-jitsu. that's the, my best area of jiu-jitsu. <laughs> get those hips going it's actually if you've ever seen uh will safford's instagram my worst area of jiu-jitsu but, <laughs> um I don't like a hard warm-up, but I do like to warm up with, with drills, um, doing jiu-jitsu. I think at, at our gym at Paragon here in Austin, we, we do a good mix. Some days are hard warm-ups, and some days we jump right into drills. Um, I find that really both do the trick, uh, um, but I have to warm up. I just turn 30, and if I, if I go right into rolling, dude, my neck hurts. It like really hurts the next day, almost every time, so uh, warm-ups are crucial. Um, but I think I'd like to change it up. I'd like to almost drill just to warm up, maybe drill one technique for 15 minutes or whatever, then roll, and then drill afterwards. Right. Uh, no, okay, the drilling afterwards, this mm. is something I forgot for my, my, my perfect training session. If it was like my, my dream jiu-jitsu training session, there's... Um, I think I mentioned this before that there's one thing that I learned from Josh Whiteskin. Did you need um, me to adjust the lights because I think the limelight was? was, was, was <laughs> Excuse <over here>. me. <laughs> Go ahead. But Josh Whiteskin, he was the basically the guy who, who who told Marcelo like you should do a technique website. Yeah, he's a he was the chess grandmaster, one of America's youngest uh, chess international grandmasters. He's a jujitsu black belt under Marcelo. He's his business partner in the gym. This guy is freaking smart, super smart, right? And um, I remember I met him uh, when I went to train at Marcelo's years ago, and um, I was still a purple belt. He was a brown. And um, the class was done, and he was drilling in the corner, and uh, I just got chatting to him just after he'd finished. And guy very open and very generous with his knowledge and stuff, and he was just telling me that whatever he did that day, whatever, however his session went, he always made sure to just grab a partner and just do 10 repetitions of a technique, whether it was the technique of the day or there was another technique that he was you know, working on himself, whatever. But it was just 10 clean reps of a technique so that whatever happened in that jiu-jitsu session, whatever happened, whether he had a great day or whether he got smashed, he could go away from that session thinking, A, I did something positive and constructive today, and B, reinforce something that he knew he needed to work on. Hmm. And when you were saying about the whole drilling thing and just that taking responsibility for yourself, I always, that thing that Josh did there made me think, man, yeah, sometimes I don't do it all the time, but when I do, I, I always feel better for it. It's a great point. And I definitely have left the gym feeling absolutely demoralized, you know, because I, I didn't feel like I learned anything and just got <laughs> smashed. Um, so that, that does help there. But I think there's a lot to be said for, for repping out a movement 
after, after being exhausted, you know, because that's when maybe you need it most in competition. And um, I think ideally if I was disciplined, which I'm not, I, I would drill the same move before and after rolling. So then also I can make adjustments during the rolls and see, see what kind of uh, difficulties I face while training and in real, real time. And then also just sort of uh, adapt those into the way I drill afterwards and say, oh, well, this guy was putting his hand on the collar. How do I break that grip or whatever? And um, really kind of cement that information. And if you do that for a week, man, you make leaps and bounds, at least your understanding. But like I said, I'm not disciplined, so I man, almost I'm, never do I'm, this. I'm, I'm never motivated to, to <laughs> drill. You just want to go home, right? Yeah, you just want to like, pound some water. Exactly. And, uh-huh. I'm like ready to go to bed when training's <laughs> over. So it, Streamlined to, to that. I'm sure Jose and Robert are watching this like, I've never seen you do this. <laughs> I promise I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> well, man, I mean, this, it is, though. There's no, there's no simple answer to what is the best way to train, right? Because uh, different people have different methods, and they're all equally successful. You know, people are out there proving it at the highest levels. But, yeah, um, that's definitely something we learned on the, on the Road to Worlds right? trips, is, is just going to all these different gyms and seeing that, you know, it's all similar, like we said, but everybody really does have a slightly different um, different way to do things, a slightly different pace to do things, even. Um, so Yeah, let's, I want to talk about Lloyd's. I, know, I, I was, I was going to say Lloyd's, too, because that Lloyd's was the, so, stuck out to me, as well. A lot of people separate um, by size or, or by skill level. In Lloyd's, it was uh, like a 35, maybe almost 40-minute warm-up of how you start your matches in competition. So all the guard pulls went on one half. It didn't matter if they were ultra heavy, you know, they, they were right there with, with the rooster weights, or if you're fighting for takedowns. And then uh, the guys who pulled guard, they just worked double guard pull. That was the whole thing. It was just a double guard pull battle, and then you reset after either coming up for the advantage or getting the back. So it was like, what's your strategy in the yeah. match, right? Is your strategy to take them down? Go over to this side. Is your strategy to pull guard? Go over on this side. And that's all they did. And the guys doing takedowns didn't even complete takedowns. They were just grip fighting and going, you know, 60% completion. They would, they would pick up a single leg, and then they wouldn't dump them. They would just put it back down. And that was that was a hard warm-up. That was definitely... Yeah, that was um, definitely a hard uh, But... I thought that was interesting because it was just like, the, what's maybe the most important part of the match? The first five seconds, you know, how do you, how do you start? Do you start off on the right foot? Are you where you want to be before the other guy? And that was a major emphasis for that team. And a lot of times people, I feel like there's, it's really broad training and, and, and we're kind of just, you know, th- throw everything on the table and, and just train everything, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like, you know, other people do this too, but I, it definitely stuck out to me at Lloyd's where it was like, no, okay, like... Are you going to take somebody down? No. Okay. Well, then don't train takedowns. Yeah. If you're not going to. You're not going to do that. Then the don't. Yeah. Don't waste your time there. Yeah. You know, we're gonna we're gonna work on what what we're good at and what is our what is my avenue to win each match because I have a strategy to win every match and so you need to be working on that strategy and if it doesn't include takedowns then don't train takedowns. You know, good then, point. You know, so scrap that. I gotta say, and, and you know, people have strong opinions about Lloyd and uh, love him or hate him. I believe that you have to respect him as a coach because a, you look at the guys that he's produced. I mean, like from kids up to black belt world champions, right? That is just, you know, you, you can't argue with that, right? The proof is in the results. Incredible, and um, he was also responsible for the development, the rapid development of guys who maybe were at purple and stuff, and were you know at a kind of a position in their career, and they suddenly got very good. And there's a lot to say for Lloyd's methods of drilling. But one thing that really stands out for me is that he takes a lot of the guesswork out of it, right? And you were saying that a lot of it, kind of what you're saying, a lot of it is taken for granted, you know? And then Lloyd's a very studious man. And I remember us talking to him uh, 
<clears throat> I think it was on the very, just after I moved to Brazil. I was there in the Tijuca Tennis Club, and him, uh, JT Torres, uh, Jimmy Harbison, they were there, and they were competing at the uh, the Rio Open, I think it was. And um, I was chatting to chatting to Lloyd, kind of like in between matches and stuff, and he was telling me that he had a record. If I'm trying to remember this correctly, but he told me that he had a record of every point scored at the World Championships as far back as he could get video. <laughs> and he had analyzed those matches to see like how those points were scored and how were people, you know, what were the hmm. most winning techniques in jiu-jitsu. Interesting. Now, I'm not sure exactly of his methods. I'm not sure how he collated all that information and what he did with it once we got it, once he got it. But what it does uh, indicate to me is that there was somebody working in a field in, um, in performance analysis that exists in all sports, but I don't, I don't think really exists in jiu-jitsu. Because you look at anything, right? You look at uh, whether it's track, whether it's uh, football, whether it's baseball, every sport has got rock-solid numbers, data, stats, right? And the analysis that has been done on not just um, kind of performance analysis in terms of, like, biomechanics, but also in terms of, like, you know, success of techniques, you know, um, whether some people have a prevalence of going right or left, all that kind of stuff. It's been studied just so, to so death, deep like, to yeah, death. Yeah. And it's no longer, there's no guesswork, it's science. And I feel that this is something that's yet to be implemented in jiu-jitsu, right? I'm not sure if there is anybody out there. If there is, I want to know about it. Like, <coughs> let us know. Got to give a shout-out to the BJJ Heroes. They do a pretty close job of... of Andre from BJJ yeah. Heroes, yeah. He, he does a lot of study, and mm-hmm. like, he, he looks at kind of a bigger picture stuff. But it's like... I still feel that there's like uh, it's not just about trends. Like you could get deep in on on athletes, mm-hmm. and even like you say, you know, like has anybody analyzed? Um, actually, Tyler Bishop used to do these. Tyler Bishop from Bishop BJJ, frequent commentator used, as yeah, well. He used to do analysis of guys, and he would go it's science, and he would do like, okay, in sixty percent of matches, uh, let's say sixty percent of matches studied, Muragali scores first, mm. you know, or in eighty percent of matches that he submitted, he pulled guard first. You know, so he breaks down kind of like concepts such as that. So I guess there's somebody out there doing it, but you well, know what I mean, I, yeah. it could be could be expanded. I, I think I don't know. I think you'd be surprised at at how um, how in tune a lot of the athletes are to that type of thing. I think you know. I think we were talking a little bit to Espin. Uh, about about that type of thing. Um, I know Hoffa is the same way, where where he's like, because you know, a lot of these guys, it's like, all right, I'm going to the featherweight division. There's usually. 15 guys who signed up for the featherweight division. So when I, when I go to the featherweight division, I'm Hafa Mendez. I know I'm going to fight Cobrinha. I know I'm going to fight Marcio Andre. You know, or, or I have a, a really good chance of fighting those two guys. And I know I'm going to fight Isaac Paiva, right? Mm. Okay, so those three guys, I need to know every detail about their game and what they do. What do they do when, I'm, when I have half guard on the left side? What do they do when I, have, when I have lasso on the right side? What do they do? I need, like, and I feel like... Talking with Espin, right? You can back that up. The same way, absolutely. So he's aware of the exact sequences that the guy will do when they get to that position, how he gets there, where he goes from there. Exactly. Espin said he, you know, hopefully he doesn't mind me me revealing this, but just that he, obviously he's been watching Lucas Lepre, and 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 he's a student. Like Jamil as well is is a guy, I think, that that studies the game um, extremely intricately. You know, these are guys that I just know off the top of my head. I'm I'm sure, I think, a a lot more guys do. I think there probably are, and I think it probably makes sense that they don't share a lot yeah. of that information yeah. as well. Right? Well, it is, it is crazy <laughs> to me. On the other hand, sometimes like like uh, other purple belts, you know, will ask me 
oh, you, you looked up your opponent? You know, when the brackets <laughs> come out, I'm like, yeah, I definitely looked him up and like saw that this guy pulls you know, deep half guard. And there's still a ton of people that don't even do a, a search on flow grappling or on YouTube for their opponents. And that just blows my mind because people are predictable. Oh, yeah. You know, especially at the highest level when you've really just got your go-to game. So if you're not studying film, then you're making a mistake. Yeah, think, especially so. when it's such a high level, so much at stake at the world championships. And it helps. I mean, I've already turned it into like personal experience where I've looked up an opponent and saw that I knew they were going to pull deep half, and I worked on my deep half counters, and it, it worked for me. So it's, um, it's not reinventing the wheel here. This is True, but you know what yeah. I'd like to see? I'd like to see um, maybe turning that back around. And maybe this is something you could do yourself. Maybe you would need a third party to do it for you. Mm. But somebody to apply that same level of study into your own jujitsu and kind of say, man, do you know that when you step forward mm. your right foot in this position, you always do this, this, You this. get your guard passed or, 100% of the time <laughs> yeah. when you do this. Did you know that? Yeah. I don't know if I want to read that study. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds difficult. <laughs> but there's a huge level of jujitsu there that I feel is, uh, is open to exploration. And I'd, I'd love to hear from... Anybody out there who's doing that kind of work? I don't mm. know about you guys. I think That'd be cool. Like a personal trainer for your jujitsu. I like that. <laughs> yeah, nice. I think uh, we've got just a couple minutes left, but one thing I wanted to, to say that we did see everywhere, regardless of uh, exact training techniques, is what seemed to be most important to me, at least, is surrounding yourself with extremely hungry, passionate athletes that believe they can win. We saw it in the bottom of Norway, you know, with the Vikings. It's in New York. It's everywhere. And um, it's key. It's key. It's, it's what motivates like you to do the extra mile, just, yeah. just to go for it. And if you think you, you've got the juice, you've got to find other people that will push you even further. So. Tough thing, isn't it? Jiu-Jitsu is a, it's a team sport played mm. by individual players, so 100%. All right, so uh, just to wrap up real quick, we're going to go to a, a new segment for, a, uh, oh, yeah. for our podcast. And this is a, uh, a brand new thing that we're going to introduce this week. Sweep or Submit. Every week, we're going to have some topics, and we'd like you guys to uh, start sending them in, what you would like us to discuss, sweep or submit. It means, sweep, get it out of here. Let's get rid of that. Submit, boom, we want it. We want it to stick around. <laughs> so it could be anything. And this week, we're going to start off with jujitsu customs and traditions. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just going to throw a couple of things at you guys. Tell me, sweep or submit. First off, us. Sweep or Submit. Sweep. Submit. I'm keeping it. Oh, look at I'm that. I'm keeping it. What do you got? Are you weighing in? It, you got to weigh in. I hate it. Sweep. You're sweep sweeping? shit out of here, man. Oh, I hate it. I'm keeping it. I'm putting it. It, it does help with the language barriers. Exactly. So that's useful. When I go up to, to Joao or Paolo Miao, what else am I going to say? You know? I say oh. These days, you can say quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's but true. anyways, we're yeah. keep it moving. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. The Shaka. Sweep or submit? Submit. You like the Shaka. Well, you're a surfer. Mega so shocker. You, you, you're a surfer, so you, you, you got it before you even started jiu-jitsu, right? I, I try to use it liberally, yes. Super I'm submit? I'm going to say submit. It's ingrained itself into me. Any photo, the hand just creeps yeah, up. It's, it's, it's a hard thumbs wide. up or a shocker. You can't, everyone can do thumbs up. <laughs> can't not do it. Bowing. Bowing in and I off sweep. the I, I, I sweep it out of it. I sweep it out of it. That's just me, though. That's I don't know. For me, it's the, that's, that's all you need, you know? Sweep it. All right, sweep that out of here. I, I don't bow. I don't bow. I don't do judo. I don't bow. We yeah. don't bow in jujitsu. Mm -hmm. Jujitsu tattoos. Sweep or submit. 
Say what Sweep you it out of your house. Sweep. Sweep. <laughs> no jujitsu. I submit. I waited until I was a black belt before I got a before I got a tattoo. There are some cool ones out there. I will admit. There are some very terrible ones out there. Terrible. Yeah. Like especially when guys have like multiple team logos because they bounce teams and they're like, that's rough. That's not good. And the final one, sweep or submit, acai. Oh, I've got to submit. <laughs> I submit my life to acai. <laughs> <laughs> submit, yeah, i got to submit to acai. You can't, uh, can't take that one back, yeah. I, I, I wholly submit to the god of acai, i yeah. got to say, yeah. Acai is the, uh, man, I miss it, because, you know, that real stuff down there in Brazil. Nah, I took you guys to the good here. spots, right? Yeah, I show you what it's all it's about. Acai hipster over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Anybody who goes to Brazil, they come back and they take, like, one mouthful of that stuff, and they're like, it's not the same. <laughs> anyway. Re- reap right, it, reaping. Sweep or submit. Oh, reaping. Ooh, okay. Submit. Well, I'll submit even more You're when I reap. It. Sweep. Sweet. Get it out of here, right? Because uh, it just, it's, man, it's so, so many bullshit DQs. Like, come on, let him go. Let him go. Wait, wait. I know. I, I think you guys are kind of agreeing. We're agreeing. Yeah, yeah. I want to I, I invite Reaping into oh, my life. Oh, okay. All right. And then I, that's, I understand that then. Okay, let me, yeah, let me switch that answer. Yes, yeah, yeah. In that case, then, I am in favor of that. Yep, submit. I think, okay, we all agree. All right. Yeah, I don't want to see people just diving on each other's legs nonstop and missing out the rest of the body, but... Like, come on, man. Too many DQs for nothing. Yeah. All right. Close. Thanks for another episode of Fistful of Collars. It's been, uh, it's been good. Uh, him, he's getting swept out of here after this. That's right. We'll Chase, join you. Sweep or submit. <laughs> I submit everyone. Join us next week for another episode. We'll be here next Thursday lunchtime. See you then.